If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be Chaos Incarnate, and here's why. In this episode, we're finding answers to how do we make the party feel like a team of heroes? And how do we create satisfying, powerful, one-time abilities for the entire party to have fun with? And how can we set up these encounters to feel grand? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. Jordan. I feel like a Superman character sometimes. (laughs) Do you? Ever? Never. (laughs) I feel like a low energy slug most of the time. The party enters the frigid hall, their footsteps echoing off the walls of this massive cathedral of evil lined with stone pillars. A light blue glow is cast from lazily drifting arcane orbs. The smell of smoke from candles being lit hangs in the air as hooded robed figures scurry out of the room. At the far end, fire sconces light a throne of iron, tall and imposing, adorned with the weapons and shields of countless, nameless, forgotten heroes, a knight clad in his blackened and scorched armor rests languidly on the cursed seat. Upon the heroes addressing him, he stands slowly revealing all nine feet of his towering form. They rush the knight, all casting and performing the attacks that make them special. Upon an exceptional hit by the barbarian, the knight shudders and utters a single word. Rust. Energy pulses in the room and the weapons and armor begin to swirl in the air, animated by foul sorcery. Blue energy pulses, forming onto the vague shape of the bodies that may have once wielded the gear, now brandishing it with a malicious intent. Shields and swords, staffs and rapiers, daggers and maces all surround our heroes, promising to annihilate them in the name of the Nameless Knight. All seems lost. The battle continues and the heroes are hopelessly outnumbered. With a steely gaze, the wise wizard targets one of the floating orbs with a green blast of energy. The orb dissipates, and a staff, once being magically animated, clatters to the stone floor, calling out to the wizard. The wizard picks it up and feels immense new power at their fingertips. With that realization, they shoot a wink to the rest of their party. The party targets the remaining orbs, choosing a weapon that allows them to harness the same new power. And hope returns to the party. We're talking about magic items that last for that single epic encounter, if you can't tell, changing the entire dynamic of the fight. (laughs) Which we did in the last episode also, I realize, but this one's a little bit different. Last time we were talking about Travis's vision of making one epic character feel like a god. Which is awesome. Sure, absolutely. This time, it's scenarios that make 
everyone feel like epic superheroes flying around the room doing cool shit. <laughs> because you're a lot more diplomatic. <laughs> I don't want to leave anybody out. No, that's true. So this is kind of an important topic here because what you're talking about is really trying to make sure that everyone in the party has kind of an equal footing in that approach. And like I said, my approach was all about focusing on one person, but still giving the rest of the party something to do. This is definitely has a lot more of a dramatic flair to it in terms of how, say, the action within a large set piece battle really goes. You're talking about having this energy kind of displaced and shift around between the party and the enemy that they fight, causing a lot more drama and a lot more tension to hang in the air. Yeah, I like it when there's these high-powered moments. Nobody at the table really knows which way it's going because it's sometimes really chaotic mechanics that you're adding in just for this one encounter so it feels different. It freshens up the game. It removes some limitations. It just makes you feel super powerful. Very cool. So let's go to the strategy stateroom to discuss that in a little more depth. This is the strategy stateroom where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. Okay, so why in the hell are you shitting all over my approach from the last one? I never had a shit on it we just had two different concepts that we're bringing to the table that's all okay so what makes this one different than mine mine was a lot more about focusing on kind of one player and making that kind of epic fight a one person spotlight yeah how do you do a spotlight on the entire team without watering it down well i think everybody gets to come to the table and experience a new mechanic that changes the game for a little bit. It kind of lets you step out of your character, work as a team in a new way, and just have an epic over-the-top fight. Okay. So when you're trying to structure something like this, how does this flow go? Like, okay, so we got the big bad, we got the boss fight. How would you set this all up? I think that the setup can add a lot to it if you introduce this whole concept in a dramatic way. Okay. And that dramatic way is to have the players enter the scene, have their characters come into whatever encounter you've got cooking in that brain of yours. Okay. And they're on kind of equal footing with their enemy. They come in, they've got some powers already, they're feeling pretty confident. Feeling pretty jacked. I mean, you you don't go to fight a dragon unless you think that you could possibly win. Sure. Unless you're one of those players that just goes straight for the dragon's lair. And that's fair, because I did play with a player <laughs> last week who totally thought that. <laughs> so then, yeah, you're staring down your enemy. We're going to do this. Then the players get scared because you introduce something crazy that the enemy has. You make them poop a little bit because of how <laughs> outmatched they are. Okay. On a scale of 1 to 10... And one is evenly matched. Where are we aiming for? Uh, anywhere from 6 to 12. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, we're we're scaring the living shit out of players going, oh, God, we've made a huge mistake. And if I'm reading this correctly, that's kind of what we're shooting for. We want 
all of the players to go, oh, we fucked up. Yeah. And there's a lot of scenes that I remember from video games that do this really well. Although it doesn't do the next step, which I think is crucial for these encounters. I mean, this is pretty much the the boss entrance to every God of War boss ever. Is it's just like Kratos going like, I'm going to fight this Greek <laughs> god. And then you're like, okay, yeah, I can do this. And then the actual entrance of the enemy. You're just like. Is just like oh screw this I didn't nobody told me that it was seven hundred feet tall and I'm gonna have to like run up its axe as it's swinging at me yeah same with uh, Dark Souls games oh yeah they always did this kind of thing the one that haunts my memory is where over the edge of this huge underground waterfall comes the head of this monster and you're like okay uh, yeah <laughs> oh yeah no all right and screw then me I guess the body comes and it's like three hundred times the size of the head. <laughs> She's like, what is this game? What have I done to myself? <laughs> That's a great, you know, bring some Dark Souls energy to your <laughs> boss battles. Ah, but then, so you're feeling hopeless as that's the whole point of Dark Souls, make you feel hopeless and not give you redemption from that. But in this <laughs> scenario, the third step is to introduce this magic item or magical ability that gives the players hope again puts them back on that equal footing and now it's raised you from whatever level of play you're normally at to just some epic tier shit yeah gotcha so and the critical distinction is i mean i was kind of leaning towards the same thing but i was leaning towards one player you're saying let's give every player at the table some major role in this or kind of equivalent magic items to put them on that same tier yeah and certain ideas can actually serve to bring the the party together more and feel like more of a team if you do this in a certain way. And we'll get to that in some of the examples later. Uh, just because I'm kind of cruel and unusual, I'll also throw out the distinction that maybe not equal footing with the boss, sure. but within swinging distance. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. I'd, I want to emphasize that this isn't about matching mechanics. Yeah. This is about weird, cool, fun ideas that aren't going to fit into the normal balance of D&D. Cool. So let's dive into these three phases. How do you establish equal footing? First of all, I'd like to point out that you can have a lot of different goals in combat. That's a whole separate conversation, and it's a really fun conversation. But for this, we're just going to focus on the classic, I'm going to fight you until one of us is dead. <laughs> just to keep it <laughs> the classic <laughs> somebody gonna die oldies but goldies okay so it's not that hard to create that equal footing i mean your group your players are already going to have some confidence and it's okay if they feel still a little bit intimidated by whatever they're coming up against and i think that point was kind of illustrated in the intro there where this like nameless charred armored knight is just kind of like hanging out on a throne yeah it's like huh all right no i think we've got this we've done a little bit of preparation it's just one against five yeah yeah sure yeah that's a good point like just introducing a single enemy is a great way to do that yeah and you want them to think that they can do it at this stage you always want to either keep your narrative flowing before the characters can do anything or place some kind of a barrier in the way because if you actually want to lead to the kind of encounter we're talking about, unfortunately, <laughs> you can't let the players slip in a, I cast fireball. Uh, 
before you you reveal more. And I love playing characters that monologue a little bit. It's so much fun. But when you said that, I immediately remembered one of our, our friends. I had set up an encounter on the top of a tower. And it was this like piercing Burj Khalifa Dubai style building. It was just this this pillar in the middle of nowhere. And you guys went all the way up to the very tip top of the tower. And then, of course, the enemy starts monologuing. And I described the tower as being about at the very top, about 30 feet across. Uh, One of the warlocks in our party jumped in right as you were starting to talk and said, I cast Eldric Blast. And And they had it so that they could push him back 10 feet. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I rolled the saving throw and I failed it. And I was like, huh. 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 My enemy just fell to his death. Off a tower. That's Off it. a tower. That's the fight. So that that belongs in D&D too, those moments of like confounding the DM and having the players feel like heroes in that way. I really wish I had planned for that, but I was so pissed. <laughs> Looking back somehow. on it, it was wonderful. It was I couldn't have planned it better, and that's yeah. the point. Yeah. But if you want to actually get to what we're planning here, you can't allow for those moments. <laughs> so the the bad guy always starts with a some kind of shield or a force field. I think I think against the... asshole players. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think the lesson is also just get on with your explanation of the setup before you turn to the party and say like, "Do you do anything?" Don't say that. <laughs> get to the good Not stuff. Now. Yeah. Okay. So phase two is shock and awe. And this is kind of where you want to add that imbalance. Yeah, this is where the bad guy pulls out the big guns. So in the intro scenario that we introduced there, this is where all of those weapons kind of come to life. Yeah. Whatever, if they've got minions, you pull those out. If they've got some kind of a huge ground-shaking blast of lightning that they're going to unleash. That's where you bring in those guns. I think this is also really good for introducing like environmental changes that make the fight immensely harder. Totally. And those can be a ton of fun to play with too. This is where the lich starts using like leech life and just hits the party for like half of all of their hit points. And it's like, oh shit, that was one. And... I think the DM in this case can always kind of keep that, uh, you know, close to their hand that they were only ever planning to use this once. But now the drama is there for the rest of the party to go, oh, shit, if they use that ability one more time, we're all dead. Yeah, there is something in that because I don't know how many times I've thought to save the big bad's superpower until... Oh, he's dead. <laughs> oh my God, every time. <laughs> this will be good when I finally... Oh, he's dead. <laughs> yeah, you think, oh, I'll just save it for the next turn or the turn after that. But then you forget that there are five very capable players at the table yeah. that are about to do 20 damage a person. Oh yeah, at least. Yeah. And That's without the three criticals that they're going to roll. I'll save my lair actions for later. <laughs> Never save. Do it at the front. Do it off the top. This is where the the dragon pukes out baby dragons. <laughs> this is... What were they doing in there? <laughs> I don't know. That's not how you mother. Sure. 
So then we get to the main event, which is kind of your third phase, which is kind of the clash or where you start to balance things and start to introduce these magic items. Yeah. So whether that be a magic item that they've been holding on to, like in your, whether that be a magic item they've been hanging on to and haven't known what it did, like in your scenario, or it's something that the enemy didn't think was going to be turned against them in this moment. Well, and in this scenario that we set up in the very beginning, there's these like blue orbs that just seem like they maybe are just lighting this chamber, but in actual fact, they're the pieces that kind of control. So being able to set it up and describe it as, say, part of the environment, or it was always kind of there, and now the party is able to use them when they kind of clue in. Yeah. But that was also something that we had kind of discussed being on different sides of things there, because, uh, well, the scenario that we were describing, so do you walk into the boss fight and describe the walls just being completely lined with potions? knowing full well as the DM that the first five potions that they pull off the wall is going to give them some pretty magical, amazing powers in order to balance this equation, and then kind of risk the players not realizing that that's a thing that they can do? Or do you put five potions on a pedestal in the middle of the room, making it painfully obvious? Which I just think that that if you're setting up a fun scenario like this, you just want to get them to it. Maybe this isn't where you put in the the deeper stories and make them feel totally attached to their characters. Maybe you just <laughs> say, here, have it. Here's a mechanic. Yeah. On the flip side of that, and my point of view on this, is if you can get them to that place, then there is a heroic stance there that is potentially going to pay off 10 times more when the players say, oh my God, like our only hope is to drink these mystery potions on the wall in face of certain doom. Like they're already getting their asses kicked and now they're going to go, I'm going to drink this strange poison on the wall. <laughs> but that's kind of the, the heroism of like, it's all lost. Like we're dead either way. And then it was their heroic decision to risk it all, drink mystery potion, gain new powers, then kick the boss's ass that is going to make it feel pretty freaking epic later on and less like a DM gimme. But I see what you're saying, risking that. Right. And the player is not realizing that that's an option. The player is not realizing that they can hit the blue orbs to take the magic items that they were controlling is running a pretty serious gambit. And then the other side of it too, I think, is that if players at your table are figuring out that you're trying to game them yeah and that robs away from that heroic action too yeah that's uh i think it just comes down to knowing your party knowing whether your party is looking for those little tricks and traps or if the players are going to completely ignore that and you're going to end up with a tpk if you don't make it <laughs> make the solution a little bit more obvious yeah so let's get to what the magic item actually does sure now, this is a wildly creative <laughs> space to play in, and I always find it good to have some constraints to work within. Sure. So some starting points for these abilities are the classic controlling a powerful creature or machine. We talked about that a little bit in the last episode, but you can have that Megazord style where everybody's in there controlling a different ability of the 
Mm-hmm. And shell. this could even be certain areas of the terrain or, you know, different controls and different doors and different levers that allow the players to get to different spaces within this area. It doesn't necessarily just have to be like a ballista that, you know, there's five ballistas in a room. Yeah, for sure. You can give them different abilities. Just sure. the, the easy starting point is one and then work from there. Yeah. You can remove limitations that the characters are usually under. Well, we used the movement limitation last time. Exactly. Allowing them to zip around the environment like they have never experienced before feels pretty freaking cool. Yeah. Removing a, let's say, a size limitation. You could have them able to grow and shrink to their delight. Or a space that has no gravity. Yeah. So now all of a sudden they can pick up things that would be impossible. And like now we're hucking pillars or huge statues at one another like we're Superman. Maybe maybe they've got a switch to turn it back on and off. Oh, dear God. <laughs> now we're playing. Now you're just you're getting the, the bad guy out into the open while everyone else hangs on. And you're just flipping that switch on and off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and smashing them against the floor and the ceiling. I want to see that in the uh, the final fight in Star Wars now. The original. <laughs> He's going up against Darth Vader and all of a sudden gravity starts <laughs> flapping around the Emperor's cast and lightning <laughs> as he's floating around the room. That's new Star Wars <laughs> with the new force powers. And these limitations can be removed from individual characters stuff too and applied to the group. Like if you take one of the cool spells or class abilities that the players have, you can either remove that limitation or just enhance the shit out of it and make it unbridled. Eldritch Blast now has 30 darts. Sure. Let's see. They've got, I mean, if you take the classic damage spell, Fireball from D&D, &D, and what if now it just keeps cooking no matter where it's cast? Ooh. Now, you've, now you're creating a battlefield that is almost like a maze and... That could be fun. Shifting it around. Yeah. Or just guarantee the effectiveness of some of those spells because you've got those save or suck spells that sometimes a spellcaster just wants to use a freaking spell, but they, it never works for them. So here's the chance to just give it to everybody and make it super cool. Yeah, totally. Polymorph, everything, all the time. <laughs> God, that'd be an annoying fight. Oh yeah, my don't, God. Don't do that. Don't do polymorph. <laughs> That would just be figuring out the different forms the whole time. <laughs> or you mix polymorph with that switch and it randomizes which uh Sure. Yeah. Sure. Which one of animal companion <laughs> options you turn into. One player's got a lever. Whichever way they move the lever is what everybody <laughs> turns into. <laughs> So there's one player watching another six fight as chickens and then bears and then sharks. T-Rex. T-Rex. Uh, no, thank you. You can also do an active counter to the bad guy's main attack. No. You can also do an active counter to the antagonist's main attack. Hmm. Which is more strategic and can come off as not quite as powerful, but it's a lot of fun. Well, and in that scenario, you've got, say, that chain lightning. So the big bad hits you with some crazy chain lightning, takes your health down by half, then 
halfway through the battle when it's time to balance it again and all of your players are shitting their pants, then you have some kind of, well, <laughs> then you uh, ground them with uh, some kind of electrical rod. <laughs> yeah. Or or just have some kind of magical ability that fights back against that. Well, I mean, you could give them something like the, uh, what was it, the bad guy from one of the newer X-Men movies? Sebastian Shaw from X-Men First Class. If you don't remember, he could absorb power and just turn it into one big attack. Oh, yeah. So that's cool as shit. Or working as a team, you could even give them an ability like you can channel your own powers through any of your teammates. How does that tickle you? Interesting. I'm not sure I'm understanding. Explain this one to me. So let's say I have the ability to cast lightning. Yeah. But maybe I'm I'm really low health. Okay. So the barbarian is up front with the bad guy. Oh. Now we can all just choose who we want to channel our powers through. So as a wizard in the back, I can cast lightning through the barbarian. Very cool. <laughs> so now you have a barbarian <laughs> charging Tesla coil. Yeah. That's just shocking everyone. <laughs> that the ranger maybe also casts a compelled duel with. And so they're just, Ooh. maybe you're using your tank to get it all. Yeah. That's very cool. I'm into that. Yeah. See, like that's an example of creating that sense of teamwork with this. So wh what kind of items can we really get into? I mean, I think this can be, if you've got something that works for your game, that's kind of tied into the story, that's great, but it doesn't have to be complicated. You can just do like a ring or an orb or a necklace or something that just, you know, emits that energy for the moment. And maybe it comes from a character's backstory or like a barbarian's ancestors or a wizard's you know, unlocked. I, I kind of like the idea of finding something within that space and not being entirely certain whether or not it's going to help or hinder. Like, imagine the risk of it. Yeah. yeah, like coming to a door and say upon unlocking the door, there was a huge blast of energy and now there's some weird magical brand on each one of the players and they're not sure like, oh shit, is this good <laughs> or bad? And then it allows like once the first time somebody casts something, now it becomes apparent. Oh my God, we can actually channel everything through one character. Mm. And... Then they get to do a little of that piecing together on their own. Yeah. I, I love the concept of giving them a bit of a mystery to figure out there. Yeah. But again, if you don't do it quite right, then you run the risk of them figuring it out after the fight. Or <laughs> that's that's fair. <laughs> or just being stuck trying to figure it out before yeah. they even go into the fight. Like they want to sideline the whole quest until they figure out what this new magical brand is. Any... Any puzzle to me, it always sounds good in theory, but in practice, I always think that it's solvable and then it's not or something yeah. like that. Best laid plans. I really like the idea of building off of those character abilities, like I was saying. Yeah. So how does this tickle? Stop tickling me, first <laughs> of all. So building off of one of the players in our party okay. likes to insult enemies and cause psychic damage. All right. Yeah. The bard. Yeah. Uh -huh. Classic bard ability. So what if you gave everybody the ability to add to that pool of damage? So let's say... Oh my God, I know where you're going with this now. <laughs> the bard's power is amplified. And now any, anytime anybody insults that enemy, they get to roll another d4. 
So let's say you start. You insult him, you roll a d4. I insult him. I roll 2d4. Somebody else insults him. They roll 3d4, and it just keeps like... So you're going to take out the big bad <laughs> dragon with just a swearing match. <laughs> just like, you sock-sucking son of a... Here's the twist Okay, that I think makes it a little bit more strategic. Sure. What if the power wasn't unleashed until the bard activated it? So it's all oh. storing up. All of this psychic damage from these insults <laughs> is pooling. And as soon as the bard wants to unleash it, so this dragon, you know, is wiping you guys out. Yeah. And the bard has to strategically choose when to unleash this kind of multiplying damage. This tirade of swears. Once they release it, it kind of starts back at one. The longer they let it build, the more powerful <laughs> it's going to be while the dragon's breathing fire and swashing with their tail. And Gotcha. I think <laughs> no, that could be that's fun. That's pretty good. That could be a lot of fun. So I liked what you were saying there with kind of unrestricting powers. What do you have for like allowing players to just go hog wild with some of their abilities? Well, what if we went back to that gravity thing? Okay. Unlimited gravity is fun, but it's super uncontrollable. So what if the party all had the ability to walk on any surface as if it was normal terrain ground? So it's kind of like spider climb. Oh, man. You're talking about that fight scene from Inception. Yeah. See how cool was that? That'd be awesome to play out in D&D. And they also have Featherfall. Mm. Maybe they're tapping into the ancient wisdom of the monk. Interesting. And he's expanding his mind through everybody. And now they're just running around the room, falling, shooting arrows. Okay. How around. would you introduce that, though? What's the bad guy? The big bad is... Well, to stick with your theme... The big bad is a is an ancient undead monk sure. that has been corrupted. Okay. So, and you're inside a temple with like silken banners hanging from every surface. So maybe this is the point where the party has found a powerful ancient book that they haven't cracked open yet. And that's their final... What party hasn't cracked open an ancient well, book yet? <laughs> maybe it had a lock that only unlocks in the presence of the ancient monk. Oh, okay. <laughs> or a magical ward that they knew was outside of their ability level to dispel, but as soon as it enters into this burial chamber, yeah. it is dispelled. Cracks open. Cool. So I love me some rogue abilities. Talk to me about rogue stuff, because I want to be stabby and sneaky. Well, one of your classic rogue characters had this terrible combination that I, as the dungeon master, despised. <laughs> it was where you cast a magical darkness, yeah, and you were able to see in it because you had some warlock stuff going on. Pack to the old one. Yeah, and it just made you this hero in every encounter. <laughs> but what if you really sauced that up and gave it to the party so what if when the combat started and you had to rebalance it a magical darkness was cast yeah and all of a sudden the party can see in it perfectly while the mob of minions can't mm. the party can see each other they can kind of strategize in that moment and they also gain the effects of pass without trace which gives you a plus 10 to your stealth okay Interesting. So how fun would it be to just like stealthy stab around? They still have a chance to hit you. They're still powerful minions. If you get clobbered, you're in rough condition. 
but would that create an interesting yes uh as my rogue runs around yelling out suck my devil's sight you butt <laughs> that's gonna give himself away isn't it well all right i don't know if i could help myself the bard's playing Taunting. music everyone's just <laughs> yeah that's how it would go <laughs> this wouldn't play out properly i quit well, it's really the role of every player is to screw with their DM. Exactly. But I'd rather, yeah, do it a little bit more collaboratively. And I really love that feeling of knowing that my DM have, has kind of set this up for me to succeed. And I think that also really helps in just like table dynamics too. So building out combats this way can really help everyone understand that they're all on the same page. They're all playing together. And the DM isn't just a dick when they clearly establish that the players are screwed. Yeah. That really all you're after is for that like five to 30 second feeling of, oh my God, I'm in way over my head. Because just like you said earlier on, what we're after is that roller coaster feeling, that that high and then, you know, it's the build and then it's the low and, oh, shit, we're weighing over our heads and then the back up again. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're after is that whole feeling. And do it do it quickly again, just so players don't use up their creativity on the moment that you're trying to lead to their triumph. And you don't want them to lose faith or yeah. lose hope because I will run out of the room screaming before I will lose my 12th level character. I'm going to kill him. <laughs> Sorry, this is an aside, but that's the thing I never got about that like DM versus player mentality because as the DM, you can just, you can kill him. Okay, you're up against 30 dragons. Yeah. I don't understand why, <laughs> how that could be a form of playing. It's but not anyways. any fun for anybody. <laughs> and yeah, like DMs that do that shouldn't, but players that think that their DM is out there to do that yeah, I don't know. Uh, whatever. That's a whole nother episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that kind of taps us out. That's the that's the idea. <laughs> Are we done? Are we done here? Can I go home? Hopefully that was helpful. We always love your support. Please keep it coming. Share this show with a friend or another DM or your grandma. We share it with ours. Yeah, she likes it. <laughs> Grandma's like it. She really liked the the new segment. Yeah. A genuine thanks to the people that have been hanging out with us on Discord. My goodness. It's so great. It's so cool when that stuff just kind of does its own thing. Yeah. And a community comes together. And we hope that you come join our weird little community and help contribute to the show uh, to do so. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and Reddit. You can hop onto our Patreon where we have all of that stuff. Uh, we introduced fun colors to your, <laughs> your Discord name if you're a patron. As always, thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that we used in this episode. And thank thanks you for, for listening, listening and, and play, great play great games, games. and ride.